I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Twelve Pack Radio. Get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to Twelve Pack Radio, the podcast source for Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 gambling news, and the home of the Beta Rank College Football Advanced Statistical Model. Thank you for joining us. This is Brian Conger, and it was it was a game. We had a we had a game last week, and it was uh, one we're definitely going to talk about, which is of course Oregon just laying the wood against Utah and how both teams pick up the pieces moving into the postseason. A lot of stuff to cover on the coaching front. And Max is out. Max is out partying with his Sports Illustrated friends and family. And God bless him. So we're going to kind of make this a little bit more loosey-goosey, a free-flowing conversation. Uh, and I am joined, as always, by uh, Mr. Rob Bowron, the creator, president, CEO of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model. Rob, what's going on, man? No, I mean we got to watch a, a whooping, um, and it was the it turned out to really be the only upset um, of the Power Five championship games, which was uh, I was I was kind of hoping for more more zaniness, and there was there was little intrigue after that game. Uh, yeah, from beginning to end, it was uh, it was tough to watch if you're a Utah fan, and of course they get knocked down to go to the Alamo Bowl, which is just crushing because i really wanted to see a utah team like go up against a really strong uh, opponent in a really strong bowl so our condolences to the utah fan base uh but it was just a heck of a year for for that team um and what whittingham was able to put together and so hopefully they uh, show up against texas oftentimes in these bowl games teams tend to uh just kind of especially the ones that should be in a better game uh, it's really hard to get up for <laughs> for a seven and five texas be georgia team. Don't be like, <laughs> we know what happened last year against Texas. Like, don't be, don't be the team that makes everyone say that Texas is back. And then we have to talk about it all off season. And don't worry, Oregon, we're going to give you a giant back massage in just a minute. So, yes, so, hold, so hold that thought. Uh, we're not just going to talk about Utah, but before we do, one of the things where I had a question for you, where, if you, if you're a Stanford fan or an Arizona fan or an Oregon state fan or a Colorado fan, where would you be watching this whole bowl season? I mean, if I was a Stanford fan, I would be in a bunker somewhere uh, where no one could find me. But if I, <laughs> if I was me, I would be in the Vivid Seat Studio. That's right. The Vivid Seat Studio, Rob. That's where we're going to be watching the games. Clothing optional. And if you haven't downloaded the app yet, you cowards, what are you waiting for? If you're looking for tickets to a bowl game near you or your team's basketball team, definitely check it out. Um, uh, download the app on your uh, Android device or your iPhone. They have a rewards program. You can sign up automatically for that. And if you use the promo code overtime, you will get uh, up to $100 off your first ticket purchase if you use the promo code overtime. So check that out. Rob, let's just start off flat out. Well, actually, we have a couple announcements to make. We have a contest that we're going to be running. We're doing a bowl pool here at 12 Pack Radio, and I'm excited to announce that we've been doing this for years at Wildcat Radio. We're transitioning that over to this podcast. And basically what you'll do is you'll pick the spreads. Pick games against the spread every single bowl game um, from the start to finish. And you'll be in a contest against Rob, myself, and Max and our other listeners. And if you win, you get a gift certificate to Vivid Seats. We're actually we're doing our sponsor, the due diligence. You get a Vivid Seats studio uh, gift certificate uh, that you can use to whatever tickets you want to get to. Here's how you enter. You got to write a five-star review of the podcast. It's real easy. Just go on to Apple Podcasts and scroll down. Leave a five-star review. Um, just take a screenshot and send it to us. You can either send it to our uh, our email, which is 12packradio at gmail.com, or tweet it to us on Twitter at 12packradio, and we will enter you into the contest. Very fun. It's cool to keep up uh, on all these games, and I will make sure to send out updates as they happen. So uh, stay tuned for that. In any case, Rob, you have an announcement to make. You might have a nerd prom coming up, right? 
Yeah, uh, I've been uh, kicking around this idea, uh, and there are a lot of folks that sort of live in my area that do uh, college football analytics. I've been kicking around the idea of uh, seeing if there was interest in doing a uh, call, a, you know, football analytics conference, and I would do the legwork to set it up. And I, I had a bunch of people respond, and they're interested. So, um, yeah, I sent out some emails today, looking at uh, you know some meeting space in Cincinnati. So, so looking for maybe end of May or uh, early June, probably early June, given where Memorial Day falls. But yeah. If you follow me, you can uh, you'll you'll find that or go to our website at Sharp College Football. Um, you'll find links to it. Uh, at the moment, it's sort of tentatively titled the Open Source Football Conference. That's great. We're going to be at the La Quinta Inn. In, no, no, sorry. <laughs> I don't know. But we'll, we'll probably not get to fancy it up. You know, we got to make sure to stay in budget. But uh, pretty excited for that. Let, let's just get to this here. Oregon 37, Utah 15. And from right off the bat, uh, Oregon was just able to control this game against Utah. And Rob, why don't you open up on the things that stood out for you? Because there are many to pick out here. I think what really stood out for me was that, uh, and we, I mean, about the only thing we got right on the podcast previewing the game was that Utah had struggled uh, against Washington, um, against a team that had some good talent uh, on their on their lines, um, and Utah. I mean, they struggled far more than they did against Washington. Um, Oregon really came in and dominated both sides of the lines of scrimmage, and that really decided the game. I, th- I thought at that point because Utah could not effectively run the ball. Um, Oregon was able to shut down Utah's wide receivers and man coverage. They weren't able to get open. Huntley was left sort of uh, sitting there holding the ball um, far for far too long. Um, in many cases, you know, and, and a lot of that's not on him. Um, and also, I mean, I thought, I thought Andy Ludwig, who's been good all season, did not call his most imaginative game. Um, Utah got a little bit away from some of its outside run um, that has been very effective for them. But I mean, just nothing worked. Oregon just dominated this game um, really from start to finish. Yeah, this was the Zach Moss show for the Utah offense for most of the game. And it was kind of like a you know, one of those under tier Marvel movies where, yeah, like, yeah, it's Zach Moss is fine. It's a Marvel movie. I'm going to go see it. Uh, and when you take a look at the numbers, I mean, overall, he was 19 for 113 yards, average almost six yards per carry. But it didn't look like that. If you watch that game, it was it, he had he a had really work. Yeah. 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 He had a work for everything else. And he had two big runs. Uh, the other thing to give him some credit, he had four catches for 57 yards and a touchdown. So, I mean, and, and that speaks of the talent that is Zach Moss where he gets over a hundred yards, 50 yards through the air with a touchdown. We're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But really he needed to be able to be himself. And like you mentioned, Rob Tyler Huntley needed to be able to step up and move the offense. And he did not like every single game that Utah has played where it's been close. You had those Tyler Huntley plays where he gets out of coverage and he throws the ball down the field or, and even though his stat line like continues to be 215 yards, you know, through the air and all that stuff, at the end of the day, he just does those plays that really puts the team on his shoulders and moves the ball down the field. He only had one real play like that in the Oregon game, and the rest of the, uh, really, basically the rest of his performance, you know, 17 for 29, 193 yards to the air, two touchdowns, but two interceptions, and those are pretty backbreaking. Yeah, I mean, because the other the other part of this too is that Utah is has been such a dominant run team that they often they're often able to get teams, you know, coming, you know, bringing bringing guys down into the box to try to slow down the run. Um, and Oregon was able to stop the run with their front seven uh, and, and sit back in coverage. And that Utah didn't really have a good answer for that. Um, and they've, for the most part, been able to dominate less talented teams all season. And Oregon was Oregon was just too talented in this game. I don't I don't know that I, I would say that Oregon. I think they had a very very good defensive game plan. Offensively, I, I mean, I thought they had a, a good plan, but just the, the the offensive line was so good and so dominant against that Utah defensive line. I mean, I don't I don't know that anyone would have predicted how with given how good Utah had been stopping the run coming into that game that uh, Oregon's offensive line would be that dominant and Ane and Fotu just I mean, everyone just looked really sort of helpless in the game that stood out so much at the end of the game one sack three tackles for a loss and i was surprised by those numbers uh at, at how high they were just cons- after watching that game like oh they sacked him i forgot about that um yeah and i want to give a shout out to hippleday who and we were going to do a segment about our all, all pack 12 team and i basically said look you do the game film who should we be putting in our first team and he and he seriously said 
oh, just the entire Oregon offensive line. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. Um, but my goodness, after holding Oregon to, uh, I'm sorry, by, by holding Utah in that pass rush and protecting their quarterback and making sure that they were able to get run after run after run. I mean, CJ Verdell, 200 yards. They had 269 yards total rushing and some really big plays uh, by a number of players on that offense. And it just shows you how talented that, that offensive line was. And l- let's talk about Oregon here. Just they have been an excellent team this entire year. They had the, the loss against Auburn where they slipped up at the end. Um, and then of course the inexplicable loss at ASU, but at the end of the day, like the defense has always been good. The offense has been solid. Justin Herbert has been solid. I know like people are going to keep throwing rocks at him. I'm going to be a Justin Herbert apologist because he's been a good quarterback. His stat line here wasn't great. It didn't jump off the page 14 for 26, 193 yards to the air touchdown, but no picks. And he was able to move the offense forward. Rob. Yeah. And we really thought, I mean, coming into this game, we sort of talked about like, who is, who is Justin Herbert going to throw to? And that wasn't that like we really should have flipped that around because Oregon's Oregon's receivers were were good in the game and uh, you know Utah did have some injuries in their secondary that did not help uh, matters at all but yeah Oregon was mostly able to get what they wanted and, and be very efficient in the game and um, you know Herbert you know was able to to stay pretty clean you know they kept him really clean and that that really matters he and he didn't Herbert didn't hold the ball much either but they also have I mean they really broke it open on some big pass play I mean one or two big pass plays early but they were efficient I mean they 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 were they got ahead of the sticks um you know often um, and they were able to keep moving like it was a it was a great performance I mean and really like the credit should go I mean Herbert was good I mean but you know all credit goes to the line that um is a little underappreciated in that that all pack 12 <laughs> that Johnny Johnson route which was the equivalent of you throwing mm-hmm. your little brother into your dryer and setting the spin cycle and then and then releasing him out I mean it was so so nasty and he's been a player that we always talk about like oh who's who's Herbert gonna throw to well the answer is has been Johnny Johnson the entire time I mean uh, the, we, we are the ones we've been waiting for this whole time Rob when it comes to Johnny yes. Johnson I mean uh, and here he 87 yards he had the touchdown he had that nasty nasty route and he's been really consistent the entire game the other thing is the emergence of Jawan Johnson now has he exploded on the scene no but two two passes two pass receptions for 52 yards and he's been able to be uh, another option and add some size and an athleticism and just a big target to that um that arsenal that they have there at Oregon and I'm really excited to see what they can do when they go up against Wisconsin because there's there's a difference between watching a a pretty good Pac-12 team go up against a Big Ten team and like the Rose Bowl, and then and then you have an Oregon team that we know is excellent and we know are probably going to bring their A game, and I'm I'm really looking forward to the Rose Bowl against Wisconsin. Yeah, this should be a lot. I mean, and I like this should be a lot more fun than last year's Rose Bowl, where um, it really was only that uh, Ohio State took their foot off the gas because they were up so big that. Like this, this game should be a pretty even matchup. I mean, Beta Rank doesn't have the Badgers by much. Vegas doesn't have the Badgers by much. Um, this this should be a really good game. I mean, the, the it's it's a little disappointing that the Pac-12 didn't get another team into a New Year's Six bowl because I think Utah is also a very good tough matchup. But um, yeah, this Oregon this Oregon team. I mean, almost getting to to look at their mirror image in Wisconsin, like a team that's also physical and prides themselves on being able to run the football. I'm interested though because like whereas Utah has, has developed players and like they they do have a very very good defense like Wisconsin they do develop players but they also sign you know they sign better classes um, than a lot of Pac-12 schools do so the the talent level on the field should be pretty comparable to what Oregon signs maybe I mean I might give Oregon a little bit of an edge on the on the overall talent level but another thing to give some some love to is that front seven and I I understand the secondary was good as well so not throwing them under the bus they showed up they held you know like Huntley isn't gonna go for 350 yards in a game but I thought the secondary played pretty well uh, all things considered but the front seven six sacks nine tackles for a loss Bryson Young and Kayvon Thibodeau was I mean well especially Thibodeau Thibodeau was all over the place I know I know the cameras were on him all the time but that's a team effort where you're getting those types of numbers against uh, one of the best teams in the country yeah, Thibodeau, I mean, really, as the season wore on and he got more reps, showed why he was the number one prospect in the country. Um, and he was such a big get for Oregon. Absolutely. I mean, and it, if there is a I mean, he was the, you know, uh, freshman you know, defensive player of the year. If there is a uh, sort of standout for Oregon, 
um, you know, on that defense, which is very good. But in a lot of ways, like, uh, you know, guys on the defense did not put up huge stats. I mean, it's really Thibodeau, uh, but the rest of the line and everybody else was good, too. I mean, they got off their blocks. Um, they disrupted Utah's running game. Um, you know, they really they really did their job. And I they're going to have their it's going to be I am. I am so excited to see these guys go against that Wisconsin offensive line um, that that run blocks pretty well. I mean, that that Wisconsin offense is good and they they have they're a bit of a one trick pony. I mean, they're going to run the ball <laughs> right at you. And we're going to save a lot of our analysis of the bowl games. I want to make sure to get Max on the podcast because bowl games are just so difficult to cap because you have coaching changes and then you have teams that may or may not show up and you have, you know, let down spots and you teams have conference that- adjustments, right? Like, I mean, it's like the, it's like the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. It's one of the most unpredictable, you know, betting days of the year, because how do you adjust, you know, team, like you have to, like you often have a very good handle of teams that, you know, how they play in their conference and how to, you know, put those games, you know, now all of a sudden it's like, it's a, it's a more of a wild card. But I do think that there's going to be some really good spots here to bet. Um, like a last, I forget what year it was, a couple of years ago, where one of the biggest bets I made of the year was Kansas State over UCLA because I knew Josh Rosen wasn't going to play that game. And like, they didn't announce it until the day of, you know. Uh, but I just kind of like, there's no way he's playing in this game. Who cares? Uh, so there, there's some spots that we're definitely going to cover, and Max will come on and we'll talk about those things. But Rob, what I'd like to do is just go through the matchups here. We, we had done our matchups last week, assuming Utah won. And of course, they lost, and it just totally shuffled the, the deck in regards to our bowl. So let's give our initial thoughts not our breakdowns not the beta rec numbers but just some general ideas and, and impressions of the game right after this i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. Every Pac-12 bowl has been filled and lots of matchups. We just talked about the Rose Bowl, Oregon against Wisconsin. So we'll we'll throw that to the side here. Let's move to December 31st, the Alamo Bowl, Utah against Texas. And I think the biggest question here is how Utah gets up uh, in this game against Texas. Texas certainly has the talent, but my goodness, how many years have we said that Texas is back? <laughs> Texas has not been back. My goodness gracious. Uh, but like, I mean, if I'm a, if, if you flip the other side, if I'm a Texas a fan or a Texas player like, oh, crap, we got to go to the, the Alamo Bowl and, oh, Lord Almighty, we got to play this Utah team. Well, it's I mean, talk about like you have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, Texas fired both offensive and defensive coordinators. <laughs> so they're uh, they will have a new offensive and, you know, a new OC and a new DC for the bowl game. Now, I mean, it's Texas, so it's likely that they will be able to go out of the market and get whomever Tom Herman wants. But uh, you have that against, you know, and, and playing in playing in what is, you know, I'm sure the Alamo Bowl was super excited to get Texas because you're going to sell some tickets. But I mean, it's for, by the standards of Texas is not really, you know, a big, big bowl game. And you get, you know, you're getting Utah, which uh, as much as we love the Utes is not really a national name opponent. Um, so you wonder how much Texas is going to get up for that. But then the flip side is like, you know, if you're Utah, this is clearly not where you want it to be. Yeah. Like how, how, and with it, with so many, I mean, with so many seniors on this, I mean, really so many seniors on this team, you know, how many of them are focused on this versus, you know, potentially their senior bowl and getting in front of NFL scouts, because a lot of these guys are going to get, uh, get their name called on, uh, during the draft. All right. <laughs> well, let's move on to the holiday bowl. I had this really great thought. It just totally poof came out of my head. So. <laughs> and you have Kyle, and you have Kyle Whittingham's bowl record, like on the line. I mean, like they've been so good in bowls, you know, like, uh, you know, like, can he and uh, you mostly trust Whittingham, but man, I mean, they came out flat in the Pac-12 championship. So, yeah, and this, um, that's what I was going to say. Refocused. Yeah, traditionally, this is the number two Pac-12 team against the number three 
Big 12 team, and both conferences were so top heavy. That, I mean, obviously you have Utah, which is solid, but Texas seven and five was the number three team in the Big 12, which is crazy town. So, uh, just really interesting to see them in that bowl. But let's move to the Holiday Bowl, which is just, um, Rob, do you like oatmeal? Yeah, I mean, every once in a while, sure. Yeah, this, like this is like oatmeal with nothing in it, though. No raisins, no brown sugar, no milk. It's just a, a USC team against Iowa. And <laughs> uh, and like I'm sure that the the fine folks of the Holiday Bowl were like, hell yeah, we're getting USC, and USC is going to play Iowa, you know, a ranked a ranked Big Ten team. And I like how many how many USC fans show up to this game? I mean, almost. I mean, like, are they are they coming to like boo Clay Hilton? I mean, I don't know, not many. I mean, the, like Iowa travels well, as uh, any Arizona fan can tell you. Oh, I was so. Iowa is like. Yeah, we get to go to San Diego and not be in Iowa City. Sign me up! Like I'm, I'm right. immediately there. The annual Iowa pilgrimage to someplace warm uh, for a bowl game. Yeah, the, like I was. I mean, I expect Iowa to show up. I'm. I, I. I am interested too because I don't know that USC has finished all of their staff changes. I, I still expect Clancy Pendergast to get fired. You know, so what US what USC shows up, I mean, I, I, I sort of expect them to be motivated, I guess, um, coming into this game because I I like they better not overlook Iowa because Iowa's a solid football team. I mean, they they did beat they have that, you know, good win over Minnesota and they played in some tough games this season. So um, USC better plan on showing up and I mean Iowa's favored here. So this is there's as far as undertones go though, I mean like I don't know. I mean, the, the Iowa defense is good. The the def, the offense is terrible. So, the the matchup of USC's fun offense against Iowa's defense should be good. But USC's defense hasn't really been good enough to probably keep Iowa out of the end zone. So, yeah, could be a fun game. It just seems like this is the least exciting coaching matchup I have ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> you got Kirk Ferentz. <laughs> who is basically like the Wes Anderson of coaches, except not like quaint, more just everything I do is just very quiet and subtle and, and relaxed. Um, whereas and mostly and, built around the lot, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and Clay Helton, who like he could be coaching naked and I wouldn't be surprised. Faith family, faith family football, right? Like <laughs> get on board. Yeehaw. Oh, I mean, it's, it's funny. Cause like, if you're, if you were USC, like, and, and you could swap coaches like you would even as like unglamorous as Ferentz is like you'd clearly take him over Clay Elton. Oh, I'm glad that he's in the Big Ten. He's perfect for that conference. Just we're going to oh, no, 100 percent. But like, like there's there's like this is this is not there's not a lot of you're right. There's not a lot of sparks that come out of this matchup. Like how many how many points is. Iowa score in this game. And I know Utah or I know USC's defense has been off and on, but they get to seven, know, 17 bad. I mean, like I would, I would put Iowa at maybe I put them at 24 points. I mean, USB, USC special teams also kind of stink. So, um, I, I haven't looked, we're not going into the numbers, but they're, you know, Iowa may have a hidden yards advantage in this game as well. And that could, I mean, a short, you know, you get a short field against that USC defense, you should be able to put up some points. I mean, I like the tough thing is if you're I, like, they've got a lot of time to potentially prepare for the air raid, which as any Washington Husky player will tell you is only a couple of plays. So <laughs> a throwback to that, uh, that orange bowl, like in 2003, where the, oh, yeah. the whole country was trying to shove us, like shove that Iowa gimpy Iowa quarterback down our throat. Like this guy's good, right? Heisman trophy. Right. And nope. USC just yeah. destroyed every, every ounce of fiber in that entire team. Uh, 38, 17. I remember that game the entire time. I was like, hell yeah. USC is, is tearing it up right now. Um, should be interesting. Well, anytime we draw Iowa, like I always think of like the this like the the Stanford band humiliation of the entire state of Iowa for all eternity that they ended up like having to apologize for. Like just, just like, and Iowa fans remember that. So like I mean if I like USC's band, like go for it. Like <laughs> stick it to those Midwesterners. Uh let's move on to the Red Box Bowl, which I am I am pleased as punch. We got Cal, which like I would, I would, if I'm a middling big 10 team, this is the one Pac-12 team I do not want to run against. Uh, and they get 
basically Tubby Smith's beard for four quarters is is who they're playing against. It's going to be front and center in everybody's mind, and I'm going to watch this entire uh, this entire bull rub. Yeah, I mean this. Uh, I don't know. Like the, <laughs> this might not be watchable. Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, this is though. This is uh, this is not going to be like Georgia Baylor levels of offensive incompetence and uh, defensive success, but um, this there could be long long periods of uh, punting in this game. So, eh, like, sure, like I'm excited. Cal's in a bowl two years in a row, and they they're going to have to find a new offensive coordinator before the bowl game. Ah, yeah, and we'll get to that. We're going to cover all the the cha- the changes in the coaching staffs and all that stuff. We, by the way, like we recorded uh, the podcast and released it two days later. And of course, Chris Peterson steps down as at Washington. So we're definitely have to talk about that on this podcast. But uh, let's move on to the Sun Bowl, which. Uh, the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Excuse me, Rob. I'm so sorry. The Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, <laughs> where Herm Edwards. By the way, Tony the Tiger is Herm Edwards' spirit animal. Like I, I think he's a, that, that, that's a great. That's a great person. That's a great. I, I spot our entire team should aspire to be like this man. He's, yeah. he's got energy. He's got talent. He sells his program. Um, and they're playing Florida State, a team that is uh, missing their head coach. And I'm not certain if that guy from who do they end up hiring? Mike Norvell. Oh. I mean, who Arizona State fans are pretty familiar with. That's true. And I heard that Norvell's still trying to coach the Memphis game. So it'll be interesting to, to keep an eye on who actually is going to coach in this matchup. But I actually think this is a pretty good draw for ASU. You know, Florida State has kind of been up and down in a bit of a mess all year. Yeah, Florida State's a, I mean, has been a disaster. They're, you know, Tagger got fired midseason. Uh, he, he, and he only had two years. There are, I mean, and one of the problems that Florida State is – I mean, on paper, a an extremely talented team. But like, I think the question that a lot of people in their minds had about this was that um, Jimbo Fisher left behind some knuckleheads that uh, Taggart, because Jimbo Fisher also left behind a bad APR score, was not able to run off. Um, so there's there's some guys that, you know, never realized their talent and <laughs> maybe made instilling a new culture kind of difficult. Um, that, of course, le- I mean, they, they flipped it again and now Norvell comes in. I expect ASU to win this game. But I don't know. I mean, again, like ASU could just not show up and like, you know, new players, you know, players could want to show off for their you know new coach so that they come into spring with, uh, you know, being had on playing time. But then again, like there's another question, too, like who is, you know, who's going to be ASU's offensive coordinator? Because that offense sucked this year. I mean, there's no there's no nice way to say it. They were not good. ASU was carried by special teams and a pretty middling defense. So who do they who do they get to, to come in? And the only the only the only coach they've had left behind was the offensive line coach. And I think they've made a hire for the wide receiver coach, but they've, they still need to find an OC coming into that bowl game. This could be a really good game for ASU to push that program forward. Right. Especially against yeah. their, their in-state rival who will be watching this game from the vivid seat studio in Arizona. And yes. <laughs> so a bit, but I mean like for ASU to finish eight and five, which would be an improvement over last year, uh, plus a bowl game on paper against Florida state, you know, even though it's, it's a, it's a Florida state with one arm chopped off and it's, it's hair is on fire. Um, but it still says Florida state on that. That's, that's a good way to be able to it show progress. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the Las Vegas bowl, which is just fascinating Washington where Chris Peterson will be coaching in this bowl against his former team, Boise state. Yeah. I mean, it feels a little too pat, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, this, like, I, I think Washington, I mean, they're a, a, a favorite in this game. I, I think they should run away with this game against Boise State. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, like, and Peterson knows, I mean, I think still knows most of that staff that's at Boise, you know, so it'll it'll be a nice swan song for Chris Peterson. Like, hope, like I, I do, I do secretly really want Boise State to, like, win the game on a Statue of Liberty play against Chris Peterson. And, <laughs> but... <laughs> That is that is my own really dark sense of humor. Um, that will clearly not happen. So yeah, I don't know. And congratulations to Washington fans to get to go to Vegas. Like anytime Arizona, again, like we're Arizona grads. Anytime Arizona during those stoops years was in the 
you know, in the conversation for Holiday Bowl or Alamo Bowl, I'm just like, can we just get the Vegas Bowl? Like, it, can we just lose a few more games so we can drop down here? And boy, do I miss those days because uh, now they're two and ten and and, uh, and searching for a defensive coordinator. Um, it's but, a it's a good spot. Like you like you 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 likely get a win because you're playing against a Mountain West team. You get to go to Vegas. Like it's a it's a solid bowl. Yeah, and if if you have uh, if you want Vegas recommendations, we go twice a year. So uh, hit me up at uh, Twelve Pack Radio on Twitter, and I can give you some good food recommendations and stuff to do out there that is uh, family friendly. Moving on to the Cheez It Bowl. Finally, we we are able to to put this Cheez It Bowl to bed um, with with a wonderful. Uh, with their milk and cookies and their wazoo footy pajamas. And I just think this is a really fun matchup. Uh, Washington State plays Air Force, the triple option against the Air Raid, Rob. Yeah, do not sleep on Air Force in this game. Air yeah. Force is a very, very good football team. That was no fluke, them going in and beating Colorado. Um, and they had a really, really good season. That If they wouldn't have lost a truly inexplicable game to Boise State, like – uh, Air Force would be in the conversation, um, you know, for for a much bigger bowl than they got. And so they're, yeah, I would I would expect Air Force to show up, um, you know, and, and play. So Washington State's got to got to be focused in this game because they're an underdog actually to Air Force in this game. And um, I, I mean, I think Washington State's offense is going to play well, but this should be a shootout. I asked our fans to send us their hot takes on some of these games, and. Uh, Southpaw eighty nine said the Pac twelve goes seven and zero, which should be awesome. But uh, but taking a look at really? this list, seven and zero. There's some t- there's some real tough games on this list. I'm trying to think like who would be who's the most likely to lose their game. The most likely to lose their game. I sorry, I'm cheating. Is probably that wash is probably Washington State. That's what I was looking at too because Air Force is good and and Mike Leach is just a space cadet when it comes to bowl games. Um, yes, I know. I know that they beat that Iowa State team, but besides that, they've just won some. They've lost some really stupid games, and oftentimes in the second half when they're up by thirty, <laughs> like that's just you know, like it's it's a that UCLA game, but just you know, with a half life basically uh, is, yeah. is Mike Leach's record in, in bowl games. So that's interesting. Yeah, Wazoo. I say the second most likely probably Cal. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's a real tight game. USC, that's a tough game. I always fear in that game. Yeah. Throw them all into sleazy parlesy though. It probably pays out like 150 to, to one. So, you know, <laughs> back to back. Although like, I, I do think to some extent, not a terrible slate for the PAC 12 in terms of their ability to go seven and zero. but I, I doubt that that's the case, but we will keep an eye on that. Well, they got, they got some decent, ma- I mean, it's the, it's often hard and it's been hard for the PAC 12, like, for, or other conferences too. Like if you end up getting, it's almost a boon for the conference that you didn't for, at least for the record that you did not get a team, a second team picked for one of those new year's bowls, because that sort of bumps everyone up. And then you're often matched up in a slot where like, I mean, Utah is getting Texas because Baylor uh, got, got picked to go to a bigger bowl. You know, like so there's th- those types of matchups like it, it does. It does help the conference in a way for this that they they that they didn't get Utah selected. So none of the none of the Pac-12 teams got bumped up to a better bowl slot. Secrets by 73 uh, said he really likes UW um, against Boise State and likes USC taking some points, which is interesting. Um, I think I agree with him on this. I think USC is going to come out pretty solid against Iowa. Iowa's a good team. Um, and I was a boring team, but a good team. Uh, it'd be interesting to see if both of those uh, end up covering. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I mean, I, li- I like USC. I mean, I can see USC covering in that game. Um, Slovis has just been lights out. Uh, and as the season gone, has gone on, I just think he keeps getting better. And that offense really just keeps improving. But, yeah. I mean, it's just – it's so it's so hard to predict with that, that USC defense. They've just – they've been – just unreliable and bad most of the season. Yeah. Let's let's go to coaching changes because there are many to cover. And let's we see that. weren't expecting this. Like it all of a sudden, I mean, like I mean there was the one big head coaching. I mean, there's two big head coaching news from our last podcast, but like, yeah. it feels like there's just a lot of news on coaching. Well, we're gonna cover it right after this. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice. Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. 
With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Are right, we back in? Oh my gosh, Chris Peterson, step down, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I was driving and I was like, son of a gun. Yeah, that was a that was a ba- that was amazing. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, Chris Peterson seemed burned out, you know, and I I I don't know that he I don't know that he was down with a lot of the changes that were going on that made transfers easier and things like that. But um, yeah, like it's, that was a shocker because um, he he sort of felt like I mean, you're you're in your 50s and a head coach like you're in theory, like sort of in the prime of your years. Right. Like you've got enough experience to know what you're doing. But, um, and, you know, you still have enough energy to get up and, and put in the long hours and the grind, the grind just got to him. And I mean, the other part too, is, I mean, if you're Washington, um, really in order to try to stay with Oregon, like you're going to have to recruit and, and kick it up a notch. And I don't know that, I don't know that Peterson maybe wanted to do that. So that, that was a shock, but if you're a Washington fan, I mean, I think they're all very excited and rightfully so like Jimmy Lake is a, is a guy that got close, I think, to being offered that Colorado job last season, um, has been viewed as an up and coming star and, uh, for Washington to have him get his shot with them because um, he's a he's an ace recruiter you know has been very good since he took over that defense um, you know calling the plays but he gets to keep Kwiatkowski you know on as his DC and you know Washington fans feel like if he can nail the offensive coordinator higher they expect him to get rid of the the OC that they'll be in a really good spot yeah no news yet on firing the offensive coordinator but if I were like that would be the first thing that I would do I'm sure that yeah. there's a lot of talk behind the scenes I mean think of like the carousel of coaches that happens every year particularly at the court you know we always focus on the head coaches but the coordinators are um, I would say oftentimes more important if you're trying to build a program and you have like you mentioned you've half a program already taken care of trying to go out and get that that offensive side or the defensive side of the ball whichever needs the biggest amount of help so it'd be interesting to see if he ends up doing that if he doesn't i think that's a terrible decision on his front um and if i yeah. were a washington fan and there has been a lot of noise out of the washington fan base about the offense and how that was run this year so hopefully they make the change on that front but yeah i mean i think this one about as well as possible there's no leaks Right. And by the way, they yeah. released this right, right in the middle of the press conference uh, for the Pac-12 championship. Like, hey, y'all, Chris Peterson's retiring, which I thought was <laughs> a bold move. And uh, and it looks like he was able to go out in his terms. He he's able to be a I think he's like a senior coordinator, whatever they're going to call him. But uh, basically somebody that is going to help analyze things. So he's still attached to the program. I think that keeps most of the recruiting class in play. And if I'm a Washington fan, I am thrilled with how this entire thing went and just how they were able to set up the program. Hopefully, I mean, for the future on paper and now it's just whether or not Lake can step up to uh, what Peterson left behind, which has been a really strong program. Yeah, I mean, I I think that I think there's a lot of reason for optimism. I think Peterson himself, because of his offensive background, was a little more stubborn about the offense than he should have been. Um, and so late coming in does does make radical changes on the offensive side of the ball more likely. That said, hiring's hard. It's his first time making a real like a, a hire that's going to have that as much weight as the offensive coordinator is going to be. Um, so if he you know, like we'll, we'll see how he does. I mean, that hiring, hiring is really the hardest part. I mean, people always focus on like, if you're a head coach, like you have to do two things, like you have to set the culture and you have to make good hires. Um, and hiring is really hard. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how he does. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see who he lands. Washington should definitely have the money to go out and compete for a big hire. Um, and so they, they, I'm interested, like there's, there's rumors of like the Indiana, like the Indiana offensive coordinator, which I think would be a really good hire for, uh, for Washington, but we'll see. Like I, 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 there's, there's like, I think everybody, it's fair to focus on the upside. Like there's also, of course, like with any kind of unknown, there's also a downside risk. Yeah. I mean, Lake could be great at, and how many times have we seen this? I mean, Chad Morris is a good example on the offensive side really good offensive mind goes to Arkansas and he's just a terrible, terrible coach and, and drove that yeah. program into the ground. Now I don't think Lake's going to do that, but like you mentioned, there is a downside there. So this isn't all rainbows and lollipops. We'll just have to see, but for, uh, just want to give credit to Washington for putting Lake in a position to succeed and just setting that whole program up in a place where, um, I think that they, uh, that was as good as they were going to be able to get in terms of uh, that transition. So, uh, where do you want to go next? 
I mean, do we want to talk? I mean, so we, we should talk. I mean, Clay Helton kept his job. And we expected that, but. Yeah, I forgot about that because we had asked Max what he thought. Like, hey, what do you think of the situation? And he definitely thought that Helton should go. I mean, I guess we've kind of gone over this a ton, but USC is a premier program in the Pac-12 and they deserve a premier coach. And by keeping on Helton, I just don't see a scenario. I mean, the the biggest knock against USC has been the fact that they, yeah, they've had decent records under Helton, but they have lost the most important games year after year after year against the talent they should be competing with because they're USC. And if you're going to keep on somebody that's going to go nine and three and eight and four, but lose, lose to Ohio state in a major bowl, um, lose to your major, like get blown out by Oregon at your house. I mean, it, it just seems like you, you are basically paying for mediocrity and the conference can't really like that. That is awful for the conference and, and even more awful for USC. If you're a hardcore Trojan fan. I mean, this is this goes to I mean, some just general dysfunction. I mean, when was the last time with USC? I mean, you would even say like the Pete Carroll hire came out to pretty meh reviews, but I mean, like they just seem to be a they seem to be really they seem to really struggle making hires. I mean, after Pete Carroll, you know, you go through Lane Kiffin, then you have Sarkeesian, um, and then Clay Helton, and those are. Those are all guys that I don't know that any other major like I mean when I say major like yeah they did get Lane Kiffin from Tennessee but I don't think that like a you know an Alabama or a you know an Ohio State would have made that higher. I, I would um, push back a little now maybe not Alabama but Sarkeesian l- let's assume that the you think drink- Sarkeesian was going to get hired from that like I mean his what I mean like. Seven and six, nine and you know, nine and four Washington teams. By, I think like the, Ohio State. I think the reason he was a big name at the time, not not Alabama, Michigan, Notre Dame, big name, but a name that USC certainly went out and grabbed was because of how low that program was. I mean, they went zero and twelve under uh, Ty Whittingham. Was it Ty Whittingham? I forget the guy's name now. Yeah. Um, and Willingham. I think, and I think just to be able to put together a team that. Um, was successful and also won some big games at times. Uh, anyway, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't. I don't want to take away from like Sark did a good job. I mean, and a lot of Washington fans will push back, but like getting Washington back to respectability was no small feat. That said, like, I mean, just for you, but if you're USC, like, I mean, you know, you could hire Chris Peterson from Washington and like that's acceptable, but like you're who, like hiring Steve Sarkeesian from Washington, like, was that even. Was was he really the best? I mean, it was it just seems sort of all over the map. And um, I think retaining Clay Helton again is just it's just it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, but the flip side is I don't know that I, I don't know that USC really would have had a a really uh, like a good set of coaches that they would have gone out and interviewed for this job. I mean, the last I mean, Bone had hired McIntyre at Colorado. Um, which looked like it was going to work out. <laughs> and then it didn't. You don't think they could have gotten Norvell? Oh, man. Like, you think about outbid Florida State for Norvell? I don't. I mean, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm Mike Norvell, like I would take USC over FSU in a heartbeat, right? Like there's, there's, it, 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 if you're, you know, Florida State is, you have to compete against Florida. You have to compete against Miami. You have, you know, Georgia, just to the North of you, Alabama's coming in to get players, you know, yes, you're in a recruiting hotbed, but you know it's it's cutthroat around there. Plus, you have Clemson um, there now. The rest of the ACC kind of stinks, but I mean, if you're USC, like you get your pick of players in in Southern California, and there's nobody else in the in the Pac-12 that is anywhere near Clemson level, um, you know, like power. So, yeah, I mean, I think if they really would have gone after it, they would. But like, he wasn't even a name that people were kicking around. Right. Like, I mean, it was all Urban Meyer or like Luke Fickle or, you know. Um, well, here's another know. name that I saw this from Alicia Deratola, but De- Dave Aranda, who's the defensive coordinator for LSU, was throwing his hat in for the UNLV job. And you go. He was. I was surprised at that. And somebody tweeted at me that he he's that they had heard that he did some he did some interviews uh, and he just doesn't present well in the interviews. Ah. Uh, I mean, that's like it is tough. Like uh, there are guys that just don't come off as head coaching material, um, and Aranda might be one of those guys. He, I mean, he's a stellar defensive coordinator and is paid like it. 
Um, but I mean, if, if Dave Miranda came in with a plan that was like, Hey, I will continue to run the defensive side of the ball. You give me boatloads of money to go out and hire a star offensive coordinator. We could make it work. Like if, if Dave Miranda came in and kept Graham Harrell and that offensive side of the ball intact, well, that could be interesting. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Aranda would have been the number two under no, no, I'm just, yeah. I'm just thinking of like, would he be better than Clay Helton? <laughs> <laughs> really? And I think, I think that's a serious I think question. All USC fans would make that trade. I mean, I just I think you know where you I, in college football. Like, if you're if you were Arizona or you know like Colorado or one of those teams, like if if you got to like nine wins, like sure fans are eventually going to get tired of having nine wins all the time. But like, like you could be pretty happy with nine wins <laughs> <laughs> most seasons for those programs. For USC, you really have to shoot higher, and like, there's just no point in sitting on this hand. Like, you know what you got, and it's not what you need. Yeah, um, and it's bad for. The, I mean, there is no other way to put it. Like, it's bad for the conference. Like, it, it, USC is the only program that can in the conference that can recruit. I mean, Oregon has recruited at this level very recently, but like, that can consistently recruit that we've seen like the, the top players and like the way that those top players still go to USC and the talent just seems to be wasted is, uh, is bad for the conference. I mean, the, it, the PAC 12, there's no, there's no, there's no other way to put it. I mean, like the PAC 12 partly is like almost always out of the playoff conversation because USC has been irrelevant, you know, for the entire period of the playoffs existence. Yeah. I mean, like, and, and that will continue. I mean, uh, well, they continue with USC, but um, hopefully but USC, this is like, they're going to be stuck with them. Like USC is going to be the, like, is going to likely come into next season as the PAC 12 favorite. <laughs> and they're, I mean, they're, like, they're going to get blown out, you know, by like, Bama. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ugh, it's just, it, it, I mean, like you look at it, there's like, Oregon's going to lose a ton. Utah is going to lose a ton. You know, Washington, the offense is still, you know, up in the air. Does Eason go pro? USC, if they keep Graham Harrell and make a decent defensive coordinator hire, they return a lot. They're going to, I mean, they're going to, they'll likely, I mean, if Clay Hilton wins 10 games, loses to Notre Dame and Bama, but wins the rest. You know, it's funny because their, their ceiling under Helton is, is Notre Dame. It's 10 and two every year or nine and three. <laughs> Right. Like and and no shot of winning the national title. Well, or if you if you go undefeated and you may like, I mean, like Notre Dame, you get to go to the playoff and get exposed for being not as talented. <laughs> yeah, that's that's also true. <laughs> but I mean, like if you took I mean, USC does have the talent. They stink at developing talent compared to other programs. And they don't have the like they don't have quite the X and O acumen. At least at the defensive coordinator spot, Grant Harrell has outperformed. I think what the expectations were going into the season, and he deserves a solid pat on the back. And they should keep him. Yeah, all right. Um, where do you want to go next? I mean, are the 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 hire that we were both wildly wildly wrong on? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> are you talking about Bo Baldwin? Bo Baldwin, new head coach at Cal Poly. Oh, and it like we have been clamoring for his head for two years and it finally happened. But he actually didn't get he didn't get officially fired, though. Right. No, I mean, this is like where I mean, when I sit in a management meeting and we talk about people that suck and we're like, how do we manage this person out of the company <laughs> and manage out is like you don't come up to the person and say, like, hey, you should look for a new job. But you say hey you should look for a new job um and baldwin i mean this 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 feels like when trey taylor went and became the head coach of sacramento state like he um you know he's going back to what he was which is the head coach you know at the fcs level um in the same conference he used to be a head coach at the fcs level uh this is it's probably a better fit for him it really was not working at cal and it's a it's the it's really the best for 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 both parties to to move on it would be the perfect college football season if cal just dropped a 50 burger on illinois after baldwin leaves <laughs> like somehow you know the, there's some grad assistant that's like I, I got this guys don't worry about it no i want like i want like i want justin wilcox to make like some crazy hire from like the division two ranks like the best offensive coordinator at like wisconsin whitewater or something like that and just like he just shows up and all of a sudden, like they're running like formations that no one and no one's seen before, and you know, in major football. Yeah. 
But I'll joke you aside, good news for Cal. I mean, they, they needed to yeah. make a move on offense. They, they have the defense side down. It'll be interesting to see what uh, Wilcox does with the next grouping of players he has. He's been certainly playing with Sonny Dykes' recruits, which is interesting because they, none of them were high, highly rated on the defensive side. So I'm curious to They're see. They're going to lose what, a lot on that defense. Yeah. And I, but, you know, good track record right now of just developing that talent and putting it on the field and putting them in a position to win. I'm just yeah. like you mentioned, they do lose a lot. So what is that next crop of players that were actually recruited by Wilcox going to do? Because it's not like they've been lighting the world on fire and recruiting. No, they've been solid, but not great. You know, like, I mean, they're, they're not even anywhere near like the Tedford levels or like even Sonny Dykes. I mean, Sonny Dykes didn't recruit super well on the defensive side of the ball, but I mean, they all transferred out, but um, he signed some very good players on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who else? Who else should we cover? Uh, there's a new head coach at UNLV. Oh, Marcus shoot. Sabaya. I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, like talking about like talking about like, I mean, yet another one that was actually probably best for both parties. That that is, you know, like in, in Super Mario Brothers where you eat the mushroom and it's like boop, 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 boop. Like that was Marcus Arroyo's <laughs> ascent uh, through the coaching ranks. You know, at Boise State, then goes to Oregon and immediately gets a head job right afterwards. And frankly, looks like he deserves it. I mean, UNLV is going to be a tough job, though. Absolutely. I mean, there. That is a. I mean, la, the last time UNLV hired a head coach, they hired a high school coach. Um, it is one of the. T- I mean, like, there's all the talk about facilities, and they're going to play in the new Raider Stadium. It's still one of the absolute hardest jobs in the Mountain West. Um, they have really no history of even being mildly respectable. Um, all the good players in Las Vegas get poached by Pac-12 schools. Um, it is a tough, it is a tough place to coach, um, and a tough place to attract talent. So he, he definitely has his work cut out for him, but, uh, probably the bad, I mean, there, there's, there's been some frustration with the Royals play calling. And I think rightfully so, I think the, given how good the offensive line is, I think the, and, and having Justin Herbert and some of the backs that they have, like, I I think the offense underperformed, I guess if I have a question here is, I mean, like. This is this offense is really what Mario Cristobal wanted it to be, I guess, in a lot of ways, too. I mean, can Mario Cristobal make a better hire than Marcus Arroyo? Or is he like in Jim Mora territory where once Mora lost Noel Mazzoni, um, he just made a series of bad hires. And he finally got I'm trying to remember the guy's name. The last one, Jed Fish, was actually pretty good. But everybody in between was bad for that UCLA offense. I totally just messed up my coordinators. I was thinking that Andy Avalos got hired by you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good riddance, Marcus. <laughs> so if, no, if no, you're no, an like, Oregon fan going, Andy, what? Av- Andy Avalos would have been like, I mean, cause that, that Oregon defense, um, they took a little bit of a step back mid season with that Washington game, but they really turned it on towards the end of that season. And they were really good. Oh, that makes a lot more sense that UNLV got Arroyo rather than Avalos. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I totally deserved it. For a, he's going to be in line for a head coaching job soon enough. I mean, and if you're an Oregon fan, like they, you know, uh, Cristobal really put together an, an ace recruiting staff there for the Ducks, and I, I certainly think they have the budget to compete. But keeping that staff together is going to be tougher. Right? The teams are going to come looking for, you know, pr- big programs from around the country are going to come looking for some of those Oregon uh, coaches because they may need a West Coast recruiter. Well, you make a good point in what does the offense look like with a new coordinator, because you're right. It seems like Cristobal really put a stamp on what that program was in terms of their offensive uh, scheme. So I don't know. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see what happens next year. I mean, like you mentioned, new quarterback, new offensive line, just that's going to be one of the biggest question marks going into the 2020 season. The defense should be fun. I mean, yeah. Thibodeau could be, (laughs) man. I mean, from what he flashed, I mean, particularly as the season wore on, um, you know, he could, he could help cover from, cause they're going to lose some guys on defense too. I mean, I, I think they return some of the secondary, um, just off the top of my head. I think they lose some of the guys in the front seven, but Thibodeau could help cover up some of that. But yeah, I mean, should be a fun, should be a fun duck squad that, you know, probably, you know, doesn't have the same kind of gaudy record that they put up this year. Do we miss anybody else? That's uh, it, right. I mean, there's teams to no, look out every, for. Everybody else, everybody else had been fired. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or or, or should be other. fired. I mean, UCLA should be firing their defensive coordinator. Stanford How? should be firing their defense and offensive coordinator. So, I mean, Arizona might make a move at offense depending on what they're able to get. So, I think there's definitely teams to look out for. 
but um, yeah, no, no big moves on those fronts though yet. And I'm interested because like a lot of times, um, and this was always, I mean, this was always the case, right? Like, you know, when when the signing day was in February, the day after signing day, you know, it was moving day. Like all the coaches would suddenly get fired, right? Like after the recruit sign, you know, like then, then you, then they move on with the new signing day, you know, like it's just sort of like, there's a lot of schools that are sitting out there with openings and, you know, like they, some of the guys that they may be getting may not, may not move until after signing day. Um, you know, they may stick out of loyalty to their, you know, their current, you know, their current job, they may stick around till you know, signing day's over. So there's a, there's some schools that are pretty, I mean, I, I would say Arizona fans, cause they've been sitting on, um, They've been sitting on that defensive coordinator position for a while. Washington State fans still, I mean, we forget that they have really an open defensive coordinator position. Yeah. <laughs> um, from Tracy Clay's quitting midseason because he couldn't take it anymore. There's, you know, like those ones, I think, I mean, like those those fan bases are like, all right, come on. Like we've been waiting. Like who's it going to be? But for everybody else, I mean, like it's still another week to signing day and it, there could be it could be a little bit before some dominoes fall. Yeah. And, and we're going to continue recording in the off offseason um, and in the postseason as well. We'll be able to cover. I mean, it's it's nice that the Pac-12 bowls are kind of spread out. So we'll make sure to do breakdowns of each bowl. We'll you know talk a lot of the offseason news in terms of the coaching changes, but also want to cover a little bit of basketball. We're still trying to figure out how to do that because there are so many games all of the time. And what we'll likely do is probably more a more general view of what's going on in the conference. And, um, you know, Rob's not doing a basketball model. So just just be warned. <laughs> this is more. Not gen- yet. I mean, <laughs> at some point, like I, I was I actually thought I was at the gym and I was like, oh, that's how I would do it, which in, like is the most interesting part to me usually is like solving it in my head. So I don't know, maybe maybe this offseason I'll like buy some data from Ken Palm and see what I can do. <laughs> well, that'd be something to look forward to. In the meantime, um, a lot of interesting teams in the Pac-12, a lot of coaches to make fun of looking at you, Mick Cronin. So we'll make sure to, uh, and the, the guy, <laughs> the guy that's at USC, his name right he's now. like, t- like the thing about Mick Cronin though, is he's like 10 times less of a jerk than Steve Alford was. So you're like, ah, you know, like you're kind of futzy, but mm, he tried to Steve fight Alford. a student on the court, Rob, like he Wait, literally, that happen? so this is like, a, this gives you an idea, like how deep I am in football all the time. Like, <laughs> Oh, no, some, some to fight yeah, some Xavier kid, like, you know, probably told him to F off and he like charges at him on the court. Um, th- there is video and evidence in articles all about it. And you can find it everywhere. Yeah, he is. Uh, uh, he is. Quite, oh, this is way back. This is like didn't happen this year. No, no, no. This is probably like two or three yeah. years ago uh, while he was still an adult. <laughs> It's probably like that's the half-life on that. That's true. I don't know. Uh, anyway, but we we will definitely cover uh, basketball. And by the way, like so uh, I uh, like when it comes to wagering, have a pretty good record when it comes to Pac-12 basketball. I only bet Pac-12 and then the tournament. So uh, we and, and of course, Max has been really solid on this and the guys from the three man weave, which is stuff on Sports Illustrated. So I think there's a lot of angles that we'll be able to cover uh, Pac-12 basketball. And uh, and I usually just dive into it right after bowl season. So looking forward to any of that. Anything you wanted? Anything else to cover here, Rob? No, I mean, it's it, like uh, on the on the conference, like if you're interested, if you have questions, um, you know, like reach out, um, you know, like if, particularly if you're interested and want to um, let me know that way I can start to size it out. I've got a reasonable sizing and I've got some places that can be flexible that I've reached out to on the number of people that show. But I'm I, like it's going to go forward if I have 10 people show up or if we have 30. So I'd like to kind of get this going because there's not there's there's the Sloan Analytics Conference, which is like super corporate and run at MIT, which, you know, kudos but it's like five thousand dollars to attend that that's crazy um this will be in the less than two hundred dollar range i believe is what i can swing it for though you, that does not cover hotel you have to figure out your own hotel but. yeah we'll, we'll just take your southwest drink coupons that's that's what you that's your entry <laughs> like we're gonna like my goal is to make it so that it's like i mean because there's all there i've met so many interesting people doing college football analytics and um you know there's some really interesting folks there's a guy um that i follow and follows me that's like works for pro football focus who does some of their their math that lives in cincinnati um you know like and the, there's i mean brian freemu of the freemu efficiency i think i'm probably saying that incorrectly but the efficiency index like one of the big college football models has already reached out about attending like it's uh it's exciting 
Nice. Well, that's cool. And by the way, so sharpcollegefootball.com, if you're not following Rob's Twitter account, um, what, what is your personal Twitter account? And then sharpcollegefootball.com is like 3,000 followers now or something like 2,000 or something like that. So I'm at BetaRank FB. Um, you can find me. And then uh, there's Sharp College Football, Sharp CFB, uh, which is the Twitter, and then sharpcollegefootball.com. Uh, it just started this this year. We just launched the site. We're at over 1,500 followers. I expect by the by the time the championship gets game gets played, we'll be at 2,000. And, and we have people following from all over the country, all over college football, not just the Pac-12. Um, and there's, there's interesting stuff. I mean, there's really interesting stuff. You can go look at, if you have, if you want to go look at the bowl matchups, go look at the, our, our matchup tool, um, that we have available on there. Uh, the model ended up doing just above 60% on the season against the spread. So yeah, it's yeah, legit. That's really it's good. For real. And you know, I'm just curious to see how the model does against uh, the spread against the bowls because woo, it is bowls a- are wacky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So beware, you know, look at, look at the matchups, but do not gamble. You should never gamble. I mean, just be careful, like because like the SEC, like last year, like in everybody's models, the SEC was like wildly overrated, and then the SEC tanked in bowl season. I don't know that it was wild. Like the SEC just dominated their non-conference last season. There's no real outlier in the model, like where there's some conference that's just really heavily overrated. But I mean, if I was going to watch out where the model could miss, I would say the model might be too low on the Mountain West. The model might be a little too high on the Big Twelve. Like that's that's probably where it varies the most, but we'll see. Like the model likes Ohio State. Most every, most everybody in analytics likes Ohio State against Clemson. Almost all of the Vegas models have Clemson ahead. So. Yeah, that that's fascinating because your so Beta Rank has Ohio State straight up uh, to win, and all of the money so we'll, in the Vegas models went towards Clemson, which is interesting. But so I mean, like it's not just me. Like so will SP plus, so will FEI. I mean, almost all of the models have Ohio State ahead, so it'll be an interesting matchup. But it's mostly on like um, I was commenting about on this a little bit today. Like uh, some of the, it's a lot of it's on special teams. Like Clemson special teams have not just just not graded out all that well. But you only have so many special teams plays in a game. So um, thank you for tuning in. You can uh, subscribe to the podcast for free, Twelve Pack Radio. Don't forget to write a five star review and get entered into the college football bowl pool that will be run out of the Twelve Pack Radio podcast. And uh, we will continue recording weekly until the end of college football season. So uh, tune in and we will talk to you soon.